Hi, welcome back to the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she and her. On today, I am so excited about our guest because I am a gigantic fan of their podcast. Um, If you have not yet heard this queer book, Save My Life, I consider it an honor to introduce you to that show. If you like this one, I can promise you that you'll love that one. Before we dig into that conversation, we have a touch of business from our affiliate sponsor, Introverts Retreat Box. When you head over to www.introvertsretreatbox.com, you're going to learn all about how you can go big and stay home. As listeners of this show, if you're interested in pampering your inner introvert, when you use special code ALLY, that's A-L-L-Y, all caps, you get 10% off your first purchase. And head over to www.introvertsretreatbox.com and use special code ally. The link and the code will be over there for you in the show notes. Now, on with today's conversation, a look back at season one of This Queer Book Saved My Life, as well as a look ahead at what's to come from season two. Welcome to the show, JP. JP, thank you so much for being on the podcast as host of the new, or I guess new-ish, as you've just completed season one, uh, the new-ish podcast entitled This Queer Book Saved My Life, and founder of the Queer Armenian Library, and you're someone with just extensive experience in the business of broadcast TV, the teaching of journalism, and I'm sure many, many other things. Uh, I'm wondering if you might talk about how your varied experiences, all of the different hats you, you seem to have worn in your life, how have they been a part of what makes your podcast so magical? Um, and please don't dispute that it's magical because 110% it absolutely is. Uh, I love that. I love that. Thank you for that adjective. I will take it. Uh, I might just put that in like my bios on like Twitter or Instagram or something. <laughs> it is a confluence, I think, of a variety of different things, right? So when I was thinking about the podcast, I think where the idea actually originally came from was in therapy. <laughs> I was like, I don't, you know, so I work in equity and inclusion as my day job. And I know we'll, we'll get into that uh, later in the episode. And I live in Minneapolis, St. Paul, which is, was ground zero, is ground zero for um, the events that took place after George Floyd's murder. And so the work that I do is necessary and I and I believe in it, but it, it's very draining on a day-to-day basis, right? When you're looking at the data and you're seeing what's going on and you see how it's affecting, um, currently I work in a community college, so seeing how it's affecting students' lives and employees' lives, those who are marginalized and have been historically marginalized. And so I was trying to think of what can I do? I was really wanting to get more connected to the queer community again. I had been... <laughs> gay for pay, if you will, in my previous position, uh, working for Rainbow Health Initiative. And so I was really missing having that daily contact, right, of working within the community or working within the communities, if you will. So we started talking about what could we do that kind of merges a variety of passions. And I worked for almost a decade in broadcasting, and that was almost a decade ago. (laughs) But a lot of the 
equipment and the editing and all of that and even like the structure of the show like if you've been in broadcasting like we have your a block commercial break b block commercial break c block right etc so even that i was structuring the show in in my head in that way and questioning or interviewing rather is a art form and so i don't think there's ever a place where you're really good at doing interviews or maybe you are you know the the bill moyers right of the world but it was, and I'm just talking for myself right now, it, it, interviewing is such an art. And I come in with my questions, you know, that are sort of that journalism background, have your questions, but see right where things go. And so that was helpful to lean back on that. And I think a lot of the work around the queer Armenian library was about bringing voices that had never been heard before to the forefront, right? So the queer Armenian library started as a for me, again, it was a personal project for me. I wanted, you know, identify as, you know, queer and Armenian American. And I was looking for some type of representation of myself or just anybody that was writing about what the experience was like to have these two cultural identities. And as I began to research and and find things, and then I became more obsessive and I was like doing, you know, academic searches on all of the search engines and looking in through the through the uh, websites of bookstores and all sorts of different like thriftbooks.com and all sorts of different things. And I found this subgenre of literature, as it turns out, and films and web TV series and comics and all sorts of things like comedians, not comics. Yet the library became a site where I said nobody else should have to do this, right? Nobody else should have to spend four years looking for themselves uh, or no other queer Armenian should have to do that. And so I think that directly tied into the podcast in the sense of we're in a fraught moment for queer people. A lot of marginalized communities right in the in the United States right now, and I'll only speak to the United States, but for queer folks in the U.S., this is a fraught moment in terms of all the legislative bans, all of the different bans that are coming out right from the far right and you know maybe the center right if we're going to be fair about that and i was thinking you know if i'm looking for a book to read i i, I think of books as more than just books obviously right with the queer armenian library they're super important our stories are necessary and we need to hear them and we need to rely on ourselves right now i feel to save us and to um really hold each other up. And I think that's really important to to hear that and to have those conversations of folks who have read a book, read a queer story and what it meant to them, and then to talk to that queer author and what it meant to them to write that book and what was the whole process right, of going into that. And so that's where the idea came from in therapy, talking that through like, hey, you've got these skills, you have this passion, you want to talk to queer people, you believe in books, and then it's sort of you know, and at the beginning of this year, it was kind of like, okay, well, you know, let's start plotting this out like it was a TV show. And then in March, there was a website. And then all of a sudden in May, it was just interview after interview after interview after interview. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it that it, that it took off the way that it did. And we had the guests that we did <laughs> in the first season. I was like, for a new podcast, I couldn't believe uh, the guests and the authors who agreed to be on it because I could see folks being skeptical, right? But that is my really long answer to your question of how we got to this to this point. So I hope that it it 
got what you were hoping for. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and and you know, again, I I thought the the answer might have lots of twists and turns because the show does so much, and you know what you were saying in terms of being a creator and a researcher. I was just today listening to an episode of um, what's one of my other favorite shows. It's called There Are No Girls on the Internet. It's by Bridget Todd. The show sort of intersects like yeah. digital literacy, popular mm -hmm. culture, um, DEIJ work. And she was, you know, talking about how the internet needs marginalized voices, right? And that it's not just for those communities, but it's for everybody. It's making the entire internet a better, safer place. And, and you know, I would say mm -hmm. your, your show is not necessarily just for marginalized folks. Um, and I, I love how the show, of course, you know, the title, This Queer Book Saved My Life, we, you know, no, it's not a spoiler to anybody who hasn't listened to it yet. Um, the show is going to look at this concept of, of saving lives or being rescued. And each episode has kind of a different tangent on that. And I'm wondering, now that you've wrapped season one, how it maybe expanded your understanding of what it means to be rescued. I love this question, and it really gets me thinking about that. And I think the first thing I'll say about that is it really, listening to these stories, interviewing these folks, really gave me an appreciation of A, what it means to tell your story, Right. I think that that it really hit home for me that we are storytellers as queer folks, literally from the moment we begin to understand ourselves as queer, right? We begin to think of words and we begin to think of conflict and maybe, you know, um, who are the villains and who are the heroes in our stories and what type of language are we going to use to describe ourselves? And and so that moment of hearing our stories reflected back at us, like the profundity of that. I think there was one episode, well, there's many episodes regarding this, but one that's uh, in my mind um, with Ellie Krug and Jennifer Finney Boylan, where Ellie reads Jenny's book, which is a memoir of Jenny's transition. And she said, this just suddenly, there were all these things building in my life. And then I read this book and then boom, I was ready to pivot to what I needed to do, right? Who I needed to be as a as a human living and loving in this world. And I just, the idea also of what it takes to find ourselves, right, as well. I think everybody has this different story of how they found, right, their, their book that saved their life. And that journey and that struggle to find that book really just underscored the need to hear our story told, whether it's to one person, right? To your friend in a bar or over tea or wherever it is to be able to say that story, to say your narrative and to hear it back, I think is really important. Something that I wasn't expecting was the second episode with Gary Nygaard, where he's talking about Giovanni's room. And I thought, okay, wow, here's a classic <laughs> of the you know queer genre. We're going to have this just amazing literary conversation. And and Gary was like, nah, this, this book told me everything that I didn't want to be and who I didn't want uh, to uh, become. 
in my life. And I thought, oh, this was not the type of conversation that I thought I would have on this show. I thought I was always going to be like proactive. And so to read a book, particularly a classic, and to say, no, like, no, this is not what I what I want to do and who I want to be. I thought, wow, there's even value in folks sharing the messiness, right? And the and the unflattering qualities and that that's just as necessary. I, I think a little bit of this where I'm going about, you know, in the first episode with Nancy Agabian and Carmen Maria Machado, uh, Carmen was talking about her memoir in the dream house and how this kind of this pressure not to talk about abuse and queer relationships, right? Because it's seen as kind of a, a betrayal. And so to have both of those episodes right next to each other, Nancy and Carmen and Gary, really underscored to me that in terms of rescuing and saving, it can almost be as beneficial to hear the messy negative stories because they do provide us with a cognitive framework, which sounds really academic, but it provides us with an opportunity to say, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm good, but no, I don't want to, I don't want to make that choice. I don't want to uh, be in that situation. I don't want to, and here's how to maybe get out of that. And I thought that was a different take on saving and rescuing that I wasn't expecting when I got into the, to the show. Uh, that's that's really fascinating and uh you know again that's why i really like that um that your school unpack that your show unpacks that concept from so many different angles um and that it's uh, you know I, I think maybe even like the punctuation in the show's title it's not just a oh i read this book and then i had all of the answers yay um you know it really <laughs> The conversations and you were mentioning you know the the art to investigation it really the, the conversations are just so deep and profound if i did you're not forcing me to but if i did have to pick a favorite episode i have to say um you know i'm a huge allison bechdel fan so that episode even before i listened to it was likely going to be my favorite um and i'm just kind of curious because i am willing to bet you've had a number of listeners sort of reach out and uh, you know, as podcasters, we get varied responses. Some things really resonate, some things don't. Uh, sometimes folks have very strong reactions to things that we might not necessarily have anticipated. And I know that season two is in the works coming this October. I'm just wondering how your audience for the show might have had um, any kind of impact on decisions that made into season two of the show. Ooh, or yeah. Not, so, or not. <laughs> yeah, no. the The show is the show is interesting because we do have and and Jim, my so Jim is my executive producer, and he's also one of my partners. So I live in a poly relationship, and and Jim is the one that I lean on because of his media background to support me and all of the tasks that go into right running a podcast. And um, we were talking about this about how we do kind of give up a certain lack of control in programming this particular podcast, the way that we've scheduled it, because we can reach out to a guest, right? That's someone that we want to talk to or someone that's come to us, but they tell us what the book is. We don't get to decide that. And then that tells us who the author is going to be that we're going to have to reach out to, which again, like I'm, I'm trying to facilitate this meeting between the reader and the author. And I want to generate that conversation and have that moment for the reader and also for all of the listeners out there. So we do have a lack of control in that regard, um, which is interesting to have that. So in, in that regard, we haven't changed much about the difference between like season one and season two. You'll see the same format and 
what we try to do is ensure that we have as much diversity as possible of the guests that we are are bringing on, that we have a variety of cultural perspectives within the queer community. We try to make sure that that happens, um, which I feel like we did a fairly good job of in the first season. I also loved, and again, I don't know what book they're going to say. So I'm talking to a guest or they've reached out to us and I can't sit there and go, okay, well, I need a young adult novel now and I need a memoir or now I need a book of poetry. Like I just... I get what I get, right? When the when the reader reaches out to us, and then it's on us to dive into what that what that book is and get in, get the author and all of that. So, in that regard, there isn't too much of a change up between season one and season two. The feedback has largely been positive. I mean, we get some folks that are like, you know, twenty minutes should be as long as it is, you know, or what do you mean it was only forty minutes? This should have gone an hour and a half. And I'm like, okay. So there's a lot of folks that are kind of, you know whatever about time. And again, I can't control that. I mean, I guess I could control that and be like, okay, well, we're only, I'm only going to ask three questions for each of you. And then we're going to get out of here and it's going to be 25 minutes, but I kind of like the conversation to just go where it goes. And I really want to get to that point where the guest and the author kind of feel comfortable with each other, right. To, to have some back and forth between themselves and have a conversation that is meaningful to them. And I feel like you can only get to that after I ask some questions and then I ask some questions of the other person and then they kind of feel comfortable, right? Um, having heard each other's stories to have a conversation with each other. So if there is negative feedback, I haven't heard it. So people are choosing not to send that to me. The positive feedback that I've gotten is that folks are reading a book that they didn't think that they would ever think to read, right? So they found a book that I would never have thought to read this book. Um, I'm thinking of particularly Stone Butch Blues has gotten a huge new fan base, which I'm thrilled about. And also the book is like available on Leslie Feinberg's website as a PDF. So you can really easy access uh, to it as well. But I love that there's that happening, that folks are reading a book that they didn't think would have ever been on their radar before. I think that's the for me, that's been the most profound, or at least it's registering in my head because that's literally what I set out to do <laughs> when starting the the podcast. And so I think that's the the main part of feedback that I have gotten that I love the most to hear. So oh, I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that. And I wouldn't be surprised to find out that listeners are also thinking, I'm gonna reread that book based on that conversation. Um, yes. you know, again, I am very keen to pick up Funhouse again after listening to episode eight with Allison Bechdel. So thank you again for that episode. Right. Yeah, me too. Uh, JP, you also do consultancy work. You, you touched on that earlier. And uh, DEI Talks, I'll be sure to link. You've got a contact form where folks can reach out to contact you. Could you let us know what opportunities there might be for perhaps K-12 schools or local libraries to connect with you? And um, I wonder if you want to even just give us an example of the type of talk that might work with that audience. Yeah, so I do, through the lens of the Queer Armenian Library, I do a talk around the necessity of inclusive language and the power of narrative for queer communities, and also just getting into books in general, so for, for libraries that are interested, also about a subgenre of books that most people have no idea exists within queer literature and also within Armenian literature, right? Um, so I get into, in that particular talk, I kind of walk through the necessity of being able to speak our truths 
through specific books, right, within the within the library. And I do it in a way that hopefully branches out so folks don't feel like they have to be queer and Armenian uh, to hear it, that they can get a sense of, okay, because these books are kind of history history making in and of their own right within queer literature or within Armenian literature. That's one particular talk. I'd say in my um, practice of DEI practice, the areas that are most within my wheelhouse are uh, work related to intercultural competency, specifically if folks are familiar with the intercultural development inventory. Uh, I'm a qualified administrator and I've done a lot of work around that, uh, both individually and with small groups and then large campus-based initiatives, which is what I'm currently doing at a position that I hold uh, at the community college that I work at. I also have a, a pretty depth of knowledge around queer health equity as well from a previous position. So those three areas are really the 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 parts that I most operate in uh, when folks call me in. I oh I also do a pretty good, I feel, <laughs> talk and training around implicit biases. Uh, that one actually uh, gets picked up quite a bit around what is an implicit bias and what isn't, what's happening in your brain. I went through a really amazing neuroscience course for um, like educators and professionals who don't want to go and do like a graduate level degree, but it's still taught by a Oxford University uh, neuroscience researcher. And so being able to embed those principles of what implicit bias is and what our brains are doing and then how to address those and what works and what doesn't work, which is actually really fascinating of what does and doesn't work, um, is really is really a fun presentation to do. And there's like some interactivity in it as well. So Great. Well, again, those be I, the ones. Those, that's, a, that's a great menu. And I almost feel uh, guilty to ask you kind of a follow up to that. But so some of the feedback that I get sometimes for my for my podcast, you know, again, the vast majority of my listeners are educators. And sometimes they'll say, Oh, why didn't you follow up and ask if the guest can do this for schools? And I know that I, um, I have a number of listeners who teach journalism, or they teach um, some segmented practice in terms of media literacy. And they will they will be very upset with me if I don't ask again, you've got that experience with journalism. Do you ever do talks or connect with schools to kind of as a, a guest speaker just to look at journalism, your lived experiences with it, as well as um, maybe how the teaching of it needs to shift and, and feel free to say, no, I don't do that. That's also OK. Well, I, I think I would, where I would go with that is I'd say, no, I haven't done that, but that's not to say that I wouldn't be interested actually in doing that. That sounds really fascinating because a lot of the work, yeah, there's a couple of canned presentations that I do, like one around the Queer Armenian Library and one around implicit bias. Like those are pretty much set and then I will tweak it based off of who I'm doing it with. But a lot of the stuff that I do is very customized. And so I do a lot of co-creation uh, because I don't necessarily like coming in with an organization and then saying like, thou shalt and <laughs> thou shalt not, right? And so I that I would actually be open to if someone were actually interested in doing that and wanted to reach out to me, like, let's do that. I'm that's, that's got my brain going right now. Okay, cool. I, yeah, I want to talk about that. <laughs> All right. I'm very glad that that I asked. So thank you for that. Lastly, JP, uh, again, season two coming out this October. Do you want to give us a little bit of a, a sneak peek of what we can look forward to? Or I know you also have uh, a series coming out too called Seven Seconds in Book Heaven. 
Seven minutes. Seven in minutes. Book heaven. Yeah, seven yes. seconds would be a very short podcast. <laughs> I don't even think as your as your listeners can probably tell right now, I'm much more succinct as an interviewer than I am as a guest. So the season premiere for this queer book, Save My Life, will be October 4th. And I'm super excited to say that the guest will be speaking about Breaking the Surface, which is uh, the memoir written by Greg Luganis. And for folks who don't know, Greg Luganis is a four-time gold medal winning diver, greatest diver of all time. And he will be joining us for that conversation, which is very exciting. And then we're actually going to a bi-weekly model. So this queer book, Save My Life, will come out every other Tuesday for the second season. And then on the off weeks, if you will, there'll be one of two things. So there will either be seven minutes in book heaven, which I'm really looking forward to because we wanted a podcast short because there's so many good queer books that are coming out. And a lot everything we talk about on the show is books that have been published for a certain number right, of years, which is they're super important and you need to read them. And some of them are classics and please go read them. But we also wanted to say, well, there's new stuff coming out. And there's all these sorts of different podcasts, right, that are about, you know, new books that are coming out. And I'm like, well, how could we have a twist on that? So it's going to be like seven minutes in heaven, if you all remember the game. But it will be, you know, myself and an author. And we'll have some cozy, fun, lighthearted questions. Uh, the first of which is, you know, describe your new book as if you were talking to a crush, right? So some fun, lighthearted questions, but only seven minutes. Uh, and so that will be coming out in the second season as well. And then we're doing, which I <laughs> super fun, uh, crossover events. So we're doing, we just recorded on Friday, a crossover event with the podcast Queer Lit, where uh, the host of Queer Lit was asking me some questions relevant to you know her show and what she does around queer literature. And now I was asking her questions about like the book that saved her life. So it's a big crossover event. And then we're doing a live ooh, crossover event with the podcast DEI is dot, 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 which is uh, with the company Diverity. And the, the host of that, uh, Enrico, and I will jointly interview a guest around a book that had a significant impact around their uh, diversity practice as a professional. And that will be well, the live event, if folks want to come to that, and you can follow our social media, will be on October 26th, and then we'll jointly record, re-release rather, release the episode on our respective channels the following week. So that is a lot super, going on in season two. <laughs> that, is, that is super exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. JP, thank you so much for, for sharing on the show. Um, and thank you for, again, the, the work that you are doing. Listeners, if you have not yet listened to this queer book, Save My Life, go check it out. It, um, it really is a great, great podcast. So congratulations again on wrapping up what I hope feels deeply and profoundly like a, a huge success. It does. It does. It's weird to, you know, I'm glad we have a break so I can process that. But I also want to say, I love your podcast. And even professionally, I'm like recommending it here at work, because it's absolutely a tool to help. And this is what you're doing it for, right? But it's now that I know it, and I've been going through your back catalog, I've been recommending like specific episodes, like, you're going to be working on this, you should listen to this episode. So That's thank you for the work that you're doing as well. Like, we need to hold each other up. But also when we've got, you know, 
know, great, wonderful learning opportunities and entertaining as well. I think that's what we're trying to do, right, with podcasts. Oh, um, I love this one and I love recommending it. So thank you for the work that you're doing. I appreciate that. And th I feel like I just burned a few extra calories, like my pulse quickened and really flattered. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> no problem. No, it's the truth. It's the truth. So... Listeners, thanks so much for giving up some of your day to listen to this episode. I want to let you know if you are listening to the episode the day that it dropped, September 22nd, Thursday, that today is the kickoff for the Band Together annual virtual auction from our friends at the nonprofit organization Pride and Less Prejudice. .org. When you head over to the show notes to learn all about this queer book, Save My Life, Please also be sure to click the link to tell you more about the Band Together event. If you're on social media and you are following Pride and Less Prejudice, again, I'll leave their handle over there in the show notes for you. Please also help get the word out about this important event from an incredible nonprofit organization. Thanks again. See you next Thursday.